people don't know and you'll you'll hear ads we're, we're doing we're doing we're showing a lot of love in in dc this week because we're we're kicking off on on the legendary wol we want to get everybody on the beltway shout out to to my partners in dc four walls media great group of individuals shout out to i, I gotta get i gotta get my good friend gwen marie davis hicks who owns a, 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 a prestigious law firm in, that services the DMV? Gwen Marie Davis Hicks will fight for you. She's a she's an expert at family law. She like knows everybody on the on the local Supreme Court. Like she's a just a human dynamo. You'll be hearing from her. They're they're one of our sponsors and and really more of the sponsors. They're they're family. Gwen Gwen gave me a check when I was doing this podcast on YouTube with thirty eight listeners. Six years ago, first first person to sign a check for me. One of the things that I like to to talk about as we get in, get into the show, I like to talk about experiences that I've had in corporate America. You know, I think as an African American male who's still moderately young, now I'm getting older and balder and scruffier. You know, the 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 crow's feet are starting to to sink in. You know, I always had the baby face. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm looking a little bit weathered. I gotta, I gotta get it together. But my experiences as someone that made it into the into the executive chair, you know, my mid-30s, and have been in charge of nine and ten figure portfolios. I've made close to a billion dollars for my employers over the years before I went into business for myself. So I have a very unique point of view and perspective for for commentary about my experiences. And I've I've seen racism. I've seen sexism. I've seen people that hate homosexuals. I've seen people that that hate. I've seen ageism. I've seen I've seen a lot of crazy stuff being in executive positions. I've seen a lot of greed. I've worked at health plans where people made decisions based on their bonus and the members and constituents be darned. So I like to talk about my experiences. And I like, I like to talk for, for those that listen to the show, wherever you are, I like to talk about my experiences and I like to advise people because I've, I've seen it. I feel like I've learned how to play the game. And a lot of this stuff, when you're in corporate America, you want to be successful, you want to move forward, you want to position yourself to have your own business. You want to move up that ladder, you want to be a director, you want to be a, a vice president, you want to be a president, you want to be a CEO. Or if you're just trying to get a, a management promotion, whatever you want to do. In many ways, you got to play the game. So speaking of playing the game, I was, I was recently, a lot of people 
look at me as a a radio talk show host, uh, a nationally syndicated radio talk show host. One of the things that I also do, I am a healthcare consultant. So Paragon 7 Studios, we do healthcare consulting. We do healthcare media. We do a myriad of things in different markets across the country. Because of my time and experience running nine and 10 figure portfolios, I have a lot of advice and counsel to give. I consult for a lot of large health plans. I consult for provider groups. I consult for vendors. We have great sponsors. U.S. Hunger. Love him. My man, Rick Witted. You're actually going to hear a little bit from Rick in the second segment. Engage in Health. Great group out of, out of Orlando, Florida. That's a sponsor. Insight in Health. Um, those, those three are kind of family. I have a deal with Industrious Office Space, which is in D.C. So I don't, I don't know where they are in D.C. I got to get the script from Industrious. But I'm, I'm, my Paragon 7 Studios is in downtown Nashville. We have a deal with the Industrious Office Space. So I have the best sponsors, the sponsors that treat me like gold. They, they give more to me than I deserve and have earned. And I wouldn't be in this, in this chair talking to you without my sponsors. But one of the things that I've experienced in, in my health care and talking to potential consulting partners and, and even you know, every once in a while, I interview for a job. I only interview for CEO jobs. No, no, I ain't taking it. If you, if you think Lance J is coming to be a vice president of quality or something, that's not going to happen. The only way you will pry me out of my consulting practice is for a CEO job. I got to be able to keep the show. But I always believe that you should interview, even if you have a job that you love, you should be interviewing. If you're in corporate America, you have a job that you love, you should be interviewing every year for at least one other job. Not because you intend to leave, but because you want to know what the market value is. Because you might be making X, Somebody might offer you X plus 30%. That gives you leverage to go back to your current employer and say, hey, I would love to stay with you, but you're going to have to pony up 30% more than what you're paying. If you can't give me 30% more than what you're paying, then you're going to have to give me some more time off, the ability to work from home, you know, depending on where you are. I don't know, access to the corporate jet. Wherever you are in, in, the, in, the, in the totem pole, but you want to know, what other people are getting a lot of people they don't want to talk about money because they think that it's rude they think that it's obnoxious i tell you how much money i made because i want you to know if you're doing the same job that i did you might be making more or you might be making less and if people don't talk about money especially women especially blacks who usually get 70 cents on the dollar or less then you won't know that you're getting thrashed financially you won't have a chance to defend yourself or fight for yourself or fight for what you're doing. Then you have a situation where you have someone that's a woman or someone that's African-American, even someone that's a homosexual that's being grossly underpaid. And there's a middle-aged white man making half 50% more than what you're making, but their same position, perhaps less competent. So recently I'm talking to somebody and, you know, talking to him about some consulting work. And there's somebody called me. I'm blessed and favored by, by the most high. I'm not in a position where I have to solicit business anymore. So I'm not, I'm not calling people up and you know, I'm not cold calling people and saying, Hey, you know, uh, you know, care first blue cross. This is, this is James Lewis from Paragon seven studios. I'd love to do some consulting in the, in the Maryland area. I don't do that. I don't have to do that. You call me. 
You know who I am and who I bees. You see me on LinkedIn popping. You see me at conferences, moderating conferences, public speaking engagements. People in the industry, they know who I am. You know what the platform is. You know who I am. That's not being arrogant. This is being factual. You know who I am. I call myself Heisenberg when I'm doing sports talk. And I don't really call myself Heisenberg much anymore because that, that, that doesn't really play. That shtick doesn't play in the corporate side. But it's like, it's like Heisenberg or Breaking Bad where, where, where Walter Wright was talking to the guys out in Phoenix to get this blue crystal. And he was trying to cut a deal. And he said to the guys, he was like, you know who I am. He's like, say my name. And that's what I tell people, say my name. So I'm interviewing and talking to someone about, about perhaps doing a consulting engagement, doing some work with them. Always happy to, to talk to good clients. If we can find uh, good opportunities where I don't want to just take people's money for nothing. I want to be able, those that sponsor the show, those that work with me in consulting, I want to be able to provide the best bang for their buck. And so I'm interviewing with a panel. Which wasn't, yeah, you know, I wasn't in love with that because I'm just like, hey, you called me. I didn't call you. But I'm interviewing with this panel. And some spanky on the panel has the audacity. Now we're talking about we're talking about high level executive level billions of dollars <laughs> type of stuff. We're talking about we're talking about big time work here this is this is not you know a little job like hey we can bring you in for a month this is this is a big time role that you would have to be a a seasoned executive to even be considered to be a part of of this team and a, and a part of this structure this guy asked me this guy looks at my resume and he looks at something that was on my resume from 2008 and he starts picking at that he starts asking me a bunch of questions about some stuff that i did in 2008 as soon as he said that, in my mind, I'm always going to be polite because you know whatever you ever want to be rude to people, especially you own your own business. But I checked out. I was just like, well, I'm not coming to work with you because that was 13 years ago. You're asking me about something that I did before I was even on the, the director line. That's something from way back in the day. You want to nitpick and ask me a question. You ask me these generic questions. So, James... Have you ever had a situation where you had to show leadership and, and you were, it was a real difficult situation and, and you had to come in and you had to galvanize a team? I had to do that every day for the last 50 years. What are you talking about? Have you seen my resume? You're asking me basic, generic questions, like a standard interview questions. I'm an executive, man. I ran a billion dollar company. I don't have to answer your questions about some um, some healthcare that I ran in Dayton, Ohio back in 2008. That's insane. You don't ask executive level people if they've quote overcome obstacles, if they've quote shifted paradigms. Like you out of your mind? Like you know who I am. You called me. I didn't. Why, why would you? Why would you call me and waste my time? My time is worth a nice little chunk of change. Don't call me and waste my time and ask me stupid questions about stuff from 15 years ago that's irrelevant. You know, ask me about what I did as a as a leader and executive and 
And have I interfaced with the board? Do I know the mayor? Do I know the governor? Do I know people like that? Those are reasonable questions to ask me. But it's just, I, I always see that. And people think that they're so smart to ask that. Like, you're worried about, you're worried about classes I took when I was getting my MBA. Like, what are you, what are you, what are we talking about? What are we doing here? You're, you're wasting my time. And I just implore people. I always talk about my services and, and, and whatever you do with your business. Um, if you have a business, and there's this misnomer that you got to have this huge business to be a successful business person. You got to have businesses making seven figures. Look, if you got businesses knocking down 30K a year, a side hustle, and that helps you to feed your family and do great things for your, for your family and children, then God bless you. But know your value. Your value is not just in money. Your value is in people respecting your time if you if you call me up and you ask me stupid questions about stuff from 15 years ago you've already shown me that you don't respect my time why would i want to work for you if you're on the board of directors why would i want to sit why would i want to deal with a board that's 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 ignorant enough flippant enough and arrogant enough to ask a seasoned executives that run billion dollar portfolios about some stuff from 15 years ago that's a red flag and wherever you are in your career, make sure that people respect you. Sometimes it's better to tell someone to bleep off than to actually go and work for someone that doesn't treat you with respect. Because once it's been established that you don't need to be respected, that will be reflected in your day-to-day -day interactions with whomever you work with. Always demand that people respect you. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you run a janitorial service. I don't care if you're a lawyer. I don't care if you're separating conjoined twins. I don't care if you're an academic. I don't care if you're a pilot. Always make sure people treat you with respect. Last day show. Paragon, Paragon 7, seven studios. studios. Rampage, the first lieutenant of the Universal Flipmode Squad. Classic sneakers I had. Patrick Ewins. Oh, the Ewins was, was hot. The, 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 the blue, orange, and white. Was got those. Yeah, got yeah, a fresh yeah, yeah. pair. You got to bring those into the studio. You gotta, you gotta bring and those I got the, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Adidas. I didn't even know that he had a shoe. What? And I got the Stan Smith. I'm telling you, these I don't are even ones, know what a Stan, Stan Smith, Smith is. Stan Smith was the Stan Smith, the green and whites, the official color. I got the official Pumas. The red suede, the blue suede. Official Pumas. Classic. So we're Classic. Hold down. up, hold up. The first Air Force Ones, the Dunks, the Flights. Uh, what else was was crazies? Uh, the Hibachis. James Lewis. You talking about the Harachis or Hibachis? the Hibachis? I call them Hibachis, Harachis, okay. whatever. You are listening to the Lance J Radio Network. You hear her blazing through your speakers. It's Ariana, the personality on Streets 99.3. You put that uniform on. That Titan uniform, you better come to work. We will be perfect in every aspect of the game. You drop a pass, you run a mile. You miss a blocking assignment, you run a mile. You fumble the football, and I will break my foot off in your John Brown hind parts. And then you will run a mile. You are listening to the Lance J Radio Network. You don't know me. Probably never will but I need you to do something for me. Something that could literally change everything. You'll never get a thank you card, and yet I need you to do it. And if that weren't enough, I need you to do it as soon 
as you are able to. If you do this for me, I'll do it for you. And for every single person you love. Deal? This is our shot to leave COVID behind. Paragon, Paragon 7, 7 Studios. Studios. to the next segment I wanted to thank you publicly Dave and having Rick and Carissa here you know it's it's very important to have people that believe in you and believe in your your mission yes and your vision to be successful and you have to have it doesn't matter how talented you are or how smart you are you know it's, me and you talk offline all the time you know I get I get a couple beers and David, he starts saying stuff that he can't say within FCC regulations. Uh, sometimes he doesn't even take the beers. Um, uh, depends on the day. Depends on the day. Me and you have, and I'm sure Carissa too, we've we've run into people in this business that are really, really smart yeah. and talented. And I can't speak for all. I've run into a lot of people much smarter and more talented than me. But they didn't understand the importance of relationship building. Yep. And they didn't understand the importance that you have to have advocates. Yes. And we as a collaborative are stronger than we in an individual sense mm -hmm. 11 times out of 10. So, you know, I wanted to thank you, David, because David's really the plug, Rick, um, who's joining us now, that, that helped build a relationship with Rise. Um, I feel like I've helped Rick to get into some of these circles. Um, Carissa has been a, a great asset and I think that you know we're it's it's building those relationships together so I wanted to, to really publicly say that I appreciate uh, all three of you for the work that you've done and uh, going beyond just supporting the show but really become you know friendship um, great colleagues I've gotten so much good advice from David over the last six months and I just wanted to, to salute you for for that work man oh, because man, it's, it's 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 great you know it's i feel that we have a good roster of people here but without an advocate we don't get into rise to show that that we that we belong and, and we can do this so I, I wanted to thank you for that and and you know it's just honored to be sitting here next to you well dude i mean that's that's super nice i mean I, look i mean you've heard me say this to you privately so now i'm going to say this publicly i mean you bring an incremental voice to the I appreciate table, that right and, and, you know, you and I have talked about this for a long time, that, that there's a lot of folks talking, but not everybody is saying something new. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's saying something incremental. And, and, and when you talk about supporting each other and stuff like that, totally resonates with me. But it's not just supporting anybody. Mm. You got to support incremental voices, incremental people that are bringing something new. Because because we don't improve, right? 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 If we don't bring something right. new to the table, no, it's it's, um, it's great. So definitely so, salute to you, Rick. I wanted to, to bring you in because this is your first. Uh, Carissa, you've been in the healthcare game like me. We've we've been to the conferences. Carissa, I didn't even salute you and 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 give you your props. 
Carissa is the is the president of the of the Pennsylvania chapter of him. So Carissa's oh, a, nice. a a big time name. So she's in the process of putting her roster together, and and her leadership and all of that, and building out her team uh, to represent the state of Pennsylvania, which is you know that's 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 a fantastic accomplishment. I know you have a lot going on your on your plate with Insighten. So to be able to to take that extra time and and put your extra time to pour into that is really meaningful. But but Rick. This is your first impression of Rise yep. and the healthcare continuum. And, and I'm curious and kind of talk at David, don't talk at me, but what are, your, what are your first impressions as someone? I'm sure you've been to a lot of conventions when you were at J.P. Morgan and a lot of banking conventions and you are talking about derivatives and 228 arms, oh, which I used on, to sell. Come on, you're making me have uh, PTSD. And, and all of this stuff. I left know, that the, space for the, a reason. The, 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 <laughs> the Roth IRA and all of that stuff. But what is what is your impression of getting into, you know, really looking at healthcare and getting a chance to, to meet a lot of people and, and build some relationships? What is your first impression? Yeah, so quite naturally for me, it's mission-minded. Well, well, just looking out at the conference, uh, it is incredible to see activity. You know, not quite as large as you would normally see a conference, but there's still a lot of stuff right. here. And uh, I just feel like I'm being able to get on the playground again and play a little bit. And the fact that we can do it responsibly is great. As far as the healthcare world, f- for me, I'm just a, a guy with a bunch of amazing people under me and next to me that want to help people. And uh, as we pivoted in the, in the pandemic, we just applied technology to that and it mapped out what we were doing, you know, you know. And, and so when you do that, you start to understand um, why. Right. And I, I love to say this, um, that the healthcare world f- seems to fixate on the clinical what? Yeah. And take no time to address the non-clinical why. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a quite, uh, it, to be honest, I can't really point a finger without four coming back at me right, because right, right. on the food assistance side of the world, uh, we spend so much time trying to feed a bunch of people and saying we fed this many. Mm-hmm. If you'd asked me a year and a half ago, I would have said, at U.S. Hunger, we have fed, you know, uh, we have provided more than 150 million meals across 53 countries, 830,000 plus volunteers. And not once did we ever ask as an organization, why are they hungry in the first wow. place? Yeah. Um, and and uh, once we pulled in this data and began to map it out and look at what it was saying and... Yep. What is unique about our data is we actually have the verbatim story. We call them right. hunger stories. Mm-hmm. None of them are about food. So they're about this thing I learned a while ago called SDOH. When we yep. were growing up, we just call it the effects of poverty. That's right. And, um, and it's those things. It's transportation. It's yep. access to health care. It's mm-hmm. access to education. A third of our applicants are check cashers, so they do mm. not have an equitable access right. and inexpensive access to the financial system. Uh, half problem. of them don't have uh, internet access or a computer in the mm-hmm. home. I don't even know how they survived over the pandemic wow. over the past year. Literally half of our families were not a part of the digital society that the pandemic put us in a year yeah. and a half ago. So all of this information we got just by feeding people. Right. And we learned really quickly that, that we're not a feeding orga- organization, 
but that we are a, a organization who uses food right. as the medium to yeah. understand yeah. You know, the big question of why are they hungry in the first place. And so I was listening to you, uh, David, a minute ago, sharing about the excitement of health equity coming into you know, the vernacular yeah. more, more, more readily now. Yeah. And I'm sitting here thinking, here I am, you know, African-American guy, you know, about 50 years old, and I'm going, no, it's always been in my vernacular. This equity problem's always right. been in my yeah. world. It's, it's right. whether it was food and equity or health and equity, or I, it, it's always been a part yep. of this world. And then it hit me, as you were saying that, what hit me was, we have been quite presumptuous yeah. in seeing a problem and assuming, well, well, well we just got to feed them. But when you don't ask, why are you hungry in the first place? What you do is you drop off a bunch of great food. Yep. You leave. Yep. The lights are still off. Yep. They still can't get to their doctor right. appointment. Which means the food's yep. going to go rotten. Yep. Right. 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 And so until we begin digging into root causes, yeah. understanding why are they hungry? Yep. Why are they unhealthy? Yep. And, you know, from a health, back to your, my long-winded ended question, answer, you know, this, as I think about the healthcare space, when they're focused, they're fixated, mm. even the ROI is fixated on the clinical what? Right. Even the reward right. is fixated on how well can we just answer the right. clinical what? Yep. When the truth is, you already know what the what is. Right. And the, the why is not a clinical why. I think if, if there's anything we're learning about SDOH is the why is not a clinical why. Yeah. But check it out. Your ROI is still based on the clinical what and why. And yeah. until that ROI shifts and the ROI becomes focused on the non-clinical why, that's when we'll really begin to address the what. And this is just an outsider looking in. No. I'm no, just a great, nonprofit do-gooder. That's what until I wanted to give you, you a platform. Until yeah. you change that ROI model, you I'll give you another example. So we're looking at the weighting of CMS, and it's so exciting to see a third of the weighting is headed to experience. But here's the problem. If you translate experience as let's just give them some stuff, let's make them feel good. And see, good. David, Rick didn't know anything about CMS. I, I taught him all. Oh, yeah, that's why. Uh, he's, right. he's parroting things. That, behind that the I've scene, I'm called Grasshopper. He's, 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 he's absorbed he's, all so, of that information. Because I'm like, what are you... What are you here to tell us about CMS? Well, no, but I, I love this because now we know who to blame. If you, he's learned it. If he's I, but we know well, to blame if you old. screw up, too. It's, it's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly right. <laughs> but, but, but most people will translate right now. Many, many of the large plans are going to say, well, it's, you know, we got to give them a great experience. we gotta, yeah. we got to help them. Here's how I look at that because I'm reading, you know, more than almost, almost 80,000, 75,000 stories yeah. that we call hunger stories. Yeah. When I hear experience, the waiting goes to experience. The experience is the patient or the members yep. experiencing. Let me say it differently. What are you going through? I'll say it differently in my world. Why are you hungry in the first place? Tell me your story. And that's a non-clinical why. But what we have learned in every hunger story, none of them are about food. Food doesn't come up once. And when we map out words through all of those stories, millions of words, tens of millions of words, the mm. biggest words that appear are family, work, 
rent, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, illness. Mm -hmm. Those are the words we see. Yep. And if we start there, you'll learn why they're hungry. You'll also learn why, why they're unhealthy. I mean, someone right. said it a while ago, show me your zip code and I'll show you how healthy you are. Live from the Paragon 7 Studios, you are listening to the Lance J Radio Network. Paragon 7 Studios.